scripture or something that stirs on your heart. And on Tuesday evening, our uh, tremendous uh, prayer night, and thanks for folks that came down. Uh, one or two folks share prophetic words. They're there to encourage us, to stir us, to challenge us, to push us forward. Uh, they're often confirming something that uh, people are, uh, are, are already receiving in their heart. Just as we were worshipping, I just felt I wanted just to uh, just share it. I, I, all I could see was a, a, a radio. And, um, and, uh, and there was maybe people here tonight, and uh, I think what God was saying is there's a lack of clarity in your life. You're tuning to sorts of all sorts of things. You know when you're tuning in sometimes you get like... And uh, sometimes uh, if you go into different geographical areas it happens. I don't know whether any of you find if you're on uh, Radio 5 Live and you're on 693, by the time you get to Sheffield, if you've not gone to 909 you can't hear it. Uh, because you need to retune. And, um, and I just sort of sense that God was just encouraging people to just to keep, as Julie was saying... Uh, walking towards him. Just continue, because God's giving cl- going to give clarity to your life. Uh, just keep tuning into God, just hearing what God's saying to your life. And it may be that you've tried all sorts of things, again, as we've heard in prayer. But God's bringing clarity to your life. You're going to hear from him. You're going to sense that what he is laying into your life is exactly his purpose and will for you at this time. No fuzziness, no lack of direction but a real clarity that God is bringing to your heart for such a time as this. And also I'd like us to pray tonight because I've never met this man, but he's been an incredibly encouraging influence on my life. I just found out sort of via Twitter feed this week that Pastor Frank Damasio is very seriously ill. And, um, and uh, I've just been so blessed by Frank over so many years. He's an incredible Bible teacher. Uh, he's just got an incredible ability to lay out the word, but more than that, he's just got a great passion for the church. And he leads City Bible Church in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. He's come out of a great team there, a great prevailing church. And again, just as we're worshipping, it seems a bit ridiculous, but I just thought God said, pray for Frank. And uh, so I'd like, if you don't mind, it would be my privilege to pray for him. A great gift to the church, friends. And as we were praying on Tuesday, we really want to believe that God's going to do great things in people's lives when they're assailed with cancer. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for Pastor Frank and all that he's brought to the church of Jesus Christ. And we just ask tonight, Lord, that you will come close to him. And we pray that healing will flow. We know that his church is praying and interceding and pressing in. And, Lord, we join with thousands around the world that love you and ask that you'll bless him, minister to him, bring him through, and take him into the greatest season of his ministry he's ever known. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54 simply says these words. As the soldier was at the foot of the cross, surely or truly, he was the Son of God. Surely he was, speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. I want you to take you back to the 1960s for a few moments. And I know for some of you, uh, you weren't around. But of course some of us were. And... uh, Believe it or not, I was only a little lad in the 1960s. But the reality is that television as we know it now was very much in its pioneering stage, in its infancy. In fact, we only had three stations. We had BBC One, we had ITV, and then 50 years ago, BBC Two came along. And um, <clears throat> that was it. And when you sit in with your multi-channel TV now, and you've got about, you know, so many channels to choose from. Um, sorry, 500, there you go. Then... Remember, it wasn't always like that. And uh, 
At that time, television was sort of pressing through and certain programs would come to the fore. And there was a program in the 60s that only did 37 episodes over two series, but it sort of took on a bit of a cult series, and it was called That Was The Week That Was. Uh, or, as it was known, TW3, for obvious reasons. It was led by the late Sir David Frost. And uh, it was a satirical program. In other words, it used ridicule and sarcasm and pricking bubbles in people's lives to bring entertainment. I suppose it was a pre- precursor for programs like Spitting Image, that was perhaps a bit crueler than ever... TW3 was. And um, it looked at the events of a week, particularly in the life of politics, and sort of probed a little bit and made a bit of fun on it, of it, and uh, pricked the bubble of perhaps pretentious politicians. And of course, in the 60s, there was plenty of material in the early 60s, with the Profumo affair and things like that. In other words, lots of the issues that we get now uh, haven't changed. <clears throat> I think it was Harold Wilson, a former prime minister of this uh, country that says a week is a long time in politics and it really is and Prime Minister Cameron's found this week that um, a week in politics is a a long time as he's had all the problems with um, sort of uh, trying to hold on to his culture. Don't worry about that because I'm not. Okay. Um, It'll either fly away or keep buzzing around but let's just keep going. Um, As he's found, as he's decided whether he was going to hang on to his culture secretary or not and of course eventually for all sorts of reasons uh, she went. And we could make lots of comments about that, about the politicians really get it at times. And the inability at times to say sorry is breathtaking. It really is. And we must never, in terms of our community and context, friends, get too big to say sorry if we've got it wrong. We really mustn't. I don't think we've seen a great example in recent days. That was the week that was. I say all that because that's the title of the message this week, tonight. And what I want to do over the next few minutes is to try and take us through a week. It starts, as Helen's reminded us, she takes Kids Church out on Palm Sunday. And it takes us towards the celebration of the resurrection in seven days' time. It was a literal week. We're not saying that it was the second week of April. And we know that Easter uh, moves around. I think it's something to do with the spring equinox. But unlike Christmas, Easter is celebrated at different times of spring. And this year it's particularly late. Um, but that was the week that was... You'll know that in the Christian tradition, this is sometimes called Holy Week. I get slightly nervous about that as, 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 as well as, because I think sometimes, friends, we're calling things holy that sort of run to an emphasis. The only thing I see God passionate about with regard to holiness in the New Testament is people. But we talk about holy weeks, holy tables, holy days, holy relics. In other words, we talk about all the things that don't matter to push away from the thing that does. He says, be holy because I'm holy. That said, I understand the sentiment regarding Holy Week. I was talking to some friends in the church this week regarding the debate that sometimes takes place, particularly if I can put it in a church like ours, which seeks to be contemporary in its feel and uh, perhaps less traditional than maybe some of you have sometimes worshipped in, not saying it's better, it's just different, about how do we celebrate the great Christian festivals of the year. And of course, there have been some churches saying, well, we're not doing it at all. So there'll be no mention next week of Easter, Good Friday. They'll just sort of carry on as normal because in their mind, in quotes, that's being traditional. Well, God help us if we ever get to that sort of place. 
The reality is in our type of church, we don't have any rigidity to the formal Christian calendar. You know, we're not sort of got the fourth after Trinity up on the board. With, you know, it's not us. It's not us. But we gladly celebrate the great landmark Christian festivals, and we do it gladly. Christian and me have not got an arm up our back to celebrate Good Friday and Easter. We think it's part of us, and we gladly do it, just as we do at Christmas. We're going to have a fantastic Easter celebration next Sunday evening. The choir who've been practicing hard are going to lead us in some worship. There's going to be a message that declares that Jesus is alive. And it's going to be a great place to be. And I believe, friends, that in our increasingly secular society, the Christian church, with vigor, with life, with a contemporary feel, needs to speak out these truths. What we're not going to do with respect is to run to something that's tired We get an email about a month before it's supposed to happen about, will you do this again? Remember what we said last week about insanity? If we keep doing what we've always done and expect different results, it's not going to happen. But where there's life, where there's faith, where there's passion, we want to move into continually worshiping the Lord. By the way, there's always worldly, carnal sort of bits added on to these things. Please don't engage me in a debate about whether we ought to have Christmas trees or not. Just, you know, if you want one, you want one. If you don't, you don't. Tinsel, all those. Just part of Christmas. Is it in the Bible? No. But at Easter time, Easter eggs and bunnies and rabbits and all those sorts of things that seem to be around. Are they anything to do with the Bible? No. The thing is, friends, they're not the predominant thing we're running to. They're the secondary thing of what we're about. We are about remembering that Jesus gave everything for us and rose the third day. So today's Palm Sunday, and I'll come to it in a moment. It's called that because we remember Jesus, our Lord, coming into Jerusalem on a donkey in humility, the servant king, and people pulling down branches from the palm trees and laying them before him. And over the next few minutes, I want to take you on a journey that leads us from Sunday through to Saturday. That was the week. That was. There's never been a week like it in all the history of the earth. So come to Sunday, Palm Sunday. And there's a number of things I wanted just to recognize that were included in this week. And the first thing was adoration. And you can read about Palm Sunday and no doubt Helen's taking the Kids church through it now from Psalm, sorry, from Matthew 21. And there in Matthew 21, it says that as Jesus approached Jerusalem, and you know the story before how he'd sent the disciples to get the donkey, as he comes in and, uh, and fulfills a prophecy from the Old Testament, see, verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentlemen, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. And the people cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The week started with adoration. The fulfillment of a prophecy from the Old Testament written by Zechariah. The servant king, the Lord Jesus, rides into the city and the people cry out praise. That word Hosanna, by the way, is simply a praise word like hallelujah. And it simply means an exclamation of adoration. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. Hosanna to the son of David. Sadly, 
their praise proved incredibly fickle in the extreme. And even days later, some of that same crowd were shouting different words, crucify him. It was interesting that Christian, as he led off the back of the band leading us tonight, encouraged us to praise the Lord. And friends, we want to make this church a praising community. And we praise with songs that are led. And we praise with songs and words that are unrehearsed. It's called the song of the Lord. Praising God. And the praises of God capture the attention of heaven. You might think, well, they just sort of seem to pump it up a bit and went back on the guitar a bit and the drums. No, friends, we're affecting the heavenlies. We're affecting the heavenlies. We're pressing through every week. If we want to see a move of God, which we do in Mansfield, with hundreds of people finding Jesus, we've got to impact the heavenlies. We've got to capture the attention of heaven by bringing the praise of the earth. The psalm says in Psalm 22 that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Can you realize why the enemies wanted to keep the church so quiet for so long? Because praise does damage to the kingdom. And praise, friends, you cannot praise God in your heart. It's one of those Bible verses that's not there. Well, I just like to praise God in my heart. It's not in the Bible. Praise is the sacrifice and fruit of your lips. You husbands, if you're ever saying to your wife, well, I just praise you in my heart, she'd be really ticked off. If you don't have the ability to say, that was fantastic, Neil, thank you. You look great, etc., etc. You bring praise. It's a fruit of our lips. Praise is vocal. Praise is voluble. It's loud. It's loud. Praise is musical. And there's a prophetic dimension that comes to praise when we begin to worship the Lord and bless him. And so these people brought praise. I don't want us to be like these people, friends, that are praising him one moment and turning on him the next. And praise, friends, reflects our faithfulness. There's a little book in the Old Testament. It's a great type of following the Lord. It's called Ruth. And Ruth could have walked away from her mother-in-law and could have said, you know, I'm not living in this foreign land. It's too dangerous. It's, it's, it's too beyond my comfort zone. But she said these words, that where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. I wonder if we can live with that faithfulness in our hearts, friends. And then it brings fruitfulness. Because Psalm, sorry, James 3 and verse 10 to 12 says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Listen, this should not be. If we're praising God on a Sunday and cursing on a Monday, what it's saying, friends, is there is something wrong internally. Because it says there that we can't, it talks about the fruit and the contradiction of, the, of what fruit produces. And if you're an apple tree, then you can't be producing something different to that. And we shouldn't be praising the Lord one day with our mouth and then saying something inappropriately on another. And if you've got a problem with language, you need to ask God to help you. And the only way he's going to help you is to deal with your heart. Because out of the heart comes the overflow of the mouth. So it was a week of adoration. And I want to encourage his friends to unashamedly be a people that adore the Lord Jesus. That come week after week in our corporate times as well as those times on our own and bring our praise to the Lord. But I want you to notice as we go to Monday also that it was a week of in, uh, where, where indignation was involved. Because as we go on in, Psalm, uh, in Matthew 21, we find that uh, Jesus went to the temple. And he says in verse 12 that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all that were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it 
a den of robbers. And so it goes on. The week included adoration, but also secondly, indignation. Jesus went to the temple and saw that people had brought the temple into disrepute. Now, there used to be an old hymn years ago that talked about Jesus being meek and mild. And I understand that. But some of the pictures that we read and see of Jesus make him somebody that he wasn't. The Bible says he was the son of man. He was a real man. And whilst he was gentle because it's a fruit of the Spirit, and whilst he was meek because it's a fruit of the Spirit, and whilst no doubt, friends, he was mild in terms of his temperament, That didn't mean he was weak. It really didn't. And the church of Jesus Christ on occasions is so insipid, it's frightening. And we need to be the people that God has called us to be. He overturned the tables. He went into the place called the house of God and said, this is disgraceful. People are just here making a living, ripping people off, simply using it for merchandise. And it needs to be different. I wonder if there's any tables in your life that Jesus needs to overturn. I wonder, friends, if there's any tables in the church that Jesus needs to come and overturn. You know what? We need to give him permission to do so. Because the house of the Lord is a house of prayer. It says in verse 13 that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. This is the passion of Arena House. That we'd be a house of prayer for all nations. Nations, that's nations coming to us and also us praying for nations. And one of the things that we do regularly in our intercessory times is think about people in other nations and we pray over them. And I want to say again, don't try and second guess the difference you make. Simply know that you make a difference. When you pray over Rachel, when you pray over Neil and Lucy in Albania, you make a difference. When you pray over Stefan and Yarmila in Slovakia, you make a difference. When you pray for Adi in Ghana, you make a difference. When you pray for the great church, the apostolic church of Casar al in Cairo, you make a difference. Because God says that it's a house of prayer for all nations. It's a house of praise as well. And in verse 16, the Lord quotes from the Psalms, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. You know, one of the wonderful things I loved about our Mother's Day service was the children, the the kids' church, coming at the end and bringing praise to God. And we know that they're there at the moment doing their thing, but you need to know in our spirit, they're never there in terms of let's get them out, let's get rid of them. Because as we said in another context this morning, we love kids in the church. We really do. And we confess it again tonight. And when they brought their unabashed, unashamed, naive praise to God, it was incredible. It was incredible. God's called us to be a house of praise, and I've already been there, so we'll move on. It's a house of purity as well, because you'll notice he drove out the money changers and the benches. And isn't it fascinating that when we commit to being devoted followers of Jesus, all of a sudden we find out he wants to drive some things out of our life. I'm not talking about the demonic now, I'm talking about things that aren't of him. He wants to drive them out. He wants us to be more like him. It was a house of power because it says in verse 14 that the blind and the lame were healed. And the church of Jesus Christ in the UK, friends, needs a breakthrough in seeing the power of God released in a new way. I wonder if literally there's some blind and lame around this town 
that could meet with the power of God in the coming days and be completely set free. So it included indignation. And then thirdly, on Tuesday and Wednesday, it included impartation. Because if you read Matthew 22 through to 24, you'll find that Jesus is predominantly bringing a discourse. He's teaching in the, in, to, to, to people that were listening on. Many of them trying to drip, trip him up. Many of them trying to hang on to his words, to, to have a hook to bring accusation. Remember those 18 or so years previous at 12 years of age when he enchanted people with the authority of his message as a boy as he taught. You know, uh, He was teaching in the temple and his family had gone back home and gone a day's journey realizing he wasn't with them. And here we are these years later and he's laying it in again. And we don't have time to look at it tonight friends but simply to say that over those verses firstly he points to his lordship. He reminds people and they hated him speaking of his lordship but I want to say tonight friends what an amazing thing it is that Jesus Christ is Lord he spoke regarding their rejection and their rejection was predominantly fueled by religion if you want to see friends the binding power of religion read Matthew 23 it's horrible it's horrible a form of godliness but denying the power thereof It replaces the power of God for things. And the great temptation of the church over the years, friends, is that it gets birthed in reality and then perpetuates itself through religion. And it doesn't work. And we refuse, by God's grace, to be a religious church. We want to stay real. And he spoke also about future judgment. And boy, I'm certainly not going to Matthew 24 and 25 tonight because better people than me have wrestled with those Difficult verses over many years. Suffice to say that it speaks about an ultimate accountability before a righteous God. In other words, friends, how have we lived our lives? And one day, whether you're in denial about it or not, we will give an account for the gift of life that God has given us on this earth. For those outside of Jesus, it will be an account for our rejection for those of us in Jesus it will be an account for our with stewarded some of you heard the power of that on Wednesday evening but standing before the Lord and Jesus just poured into people I was very impacted by that phrase from Gavin Williams our guest speaker a few weeks ago when he says impartation is a deposit it leaves something it leaves something I was talking to Christian just a few days ago about Phil Pringle at our national conference last year. And Phil's got this incredible ability to leave something. He's a great faith man. You know, and when I just listened to him, I just felt my faith lifted. Just felt my faith soared. I'm like, yeah, I could do it. He left a deposit. And friends, that's good ministry. Good ministry is not primarily about instruction. That's something of it. It's about impartation. He's leaving something. Sometimes we can't define it, but we go away knowing that God has ministered to our lives. And then we come to what is known as Maundy Thursday or a Holy Thursday. And so the week included revelation. And I never cease to be amazed at John 13. Because here's Jesus in the final hours before he's taken captive and arrested by the Roman authorities. And you thought he'd been giving the disciples ten keys to successful living. 
19 ways for your financial breakthrough. But what did he do? He got over a bowl of water and a towel and says, I want to wash your feet. He says, because if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to learn how to serve. Incredible. And that revelation still needs to come to the church today. Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. And at the very heart of Arena Church, we want to embed within us a servant spirit. You know, I just love it, friends, when people come to Jesus and they make the Lord Jesus their Savior. You begin to see some shifts in their life. And then a few weeks and months later, you begin to see him serving in the church. There's something that just gets within them. They want to do something for God. It's great. Not doing for favor, but doing from favor. God has touched our lives, and so we want to serve him. A friend of mine that's just this week says, we don't live, we don't live out of servanthood, but we live... Sorry, we don't live to get to servanthood, but we live out of it. In other words, it's intuitive. It's something that's within us. It's not contrived. It's not forced. It's what we've leaned into. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What did it go on to describe him as? A servant. Even though he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he made himself as nothing and became a servant, being obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You see, Phil, why is it that we don't perhaps have more servants in the church at times? Well, servanthood is often unseen. So if your motivation in life is pats on the back all the time, maybe that's why you push back on it, because sometimes people just won't even see it. Sometimes, friends, it's um, unrewarded. There's no reward or seeming reward. And, of course, servanthood often is unknown. But if we'll press through in those things and serve anyway, God will do amazing things in our life because servanthood always reflects Jesus. He said, even if you go and take a cup of water to someone in my name, it's noted and you have a reward in heaven. Servanthood reveals our heart. It tests our heart. You know, on that whole thing tonight, I believe that God's in the process of testing some people's hearts. And you think you've got to the end of the journey. I'm telling you now, some of you just not started. If you want to be great in the kingdom, God's going to test you. He's going to stretch you. He's going to inconvenience you. He's going to reveal your heart. He's going to lay it out so that he can get hold of you and make you the person that he's destined you to be. And servanthood will inevitably touch other people as Paul so ably led us. In the mercy offering tonight, the passion of this church is that it would have increased resource simply to connect with people that have yet to find faith, servanthood. Maybe it needs to become a revelation to you afresh. But I tell you, friends, that principle embraced by the disciples turned the world upside down. And fifthly, as we come to Good Friday, the week included humiliation. And as we continue to roll through Matthew 26 and 27, we find our Lord Jesus arrested. In Matthew 26, 39, he prayed in the garden. The intensity of the prayer was such, many of you know the story well, he sweat drops of blood. But he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup of 
suffering be taken from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And out of that fresh expression of submission, he was arrested, he was accused, he was beaten, he was disowned, he was betrayed. Even his closest friends walked away from him in the greatest hour of his need. And ultimately, he paid the supreme price for the failure of the world, the sin of the world, by dying on a cross. A real place, friends, with real pain. And we don't have the time tonight, and it's not the appropriate night for us to talk about that, but also with a real power. Jesus, the Lord of glory, utterly humiliated on probably the worst expression of execution that's ever been invented by mankind. In 1707, there was a man that was preparing for a Good Friday communion service, breaking of bread, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he was a musician. He was a hymn writer. And uh, the Lord spoke to him as he prepared for this great Easter celebration service with some amazing words. The first, as I begin to just speak the first line of the first verse, you'll recognize it. A great hymn. Charles Wesley, who wrote thousands of hymns, said, I would have given up the privilege of writing all of those hymns if I could have written this one. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. wonder if you've ever been confronted with the cross, friends, and realized that the Lord of Glory did it all for you. And then Saturday. Well, there's much speculation about Saturday. The Apostles' Creed includes the words, He descended into hell. It's taken from 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20. I'll let the theologians sort that one out in the room tonight. But the reality is, friends, that it was a time that emphasized the total and complete and glorious finished work of the cross. And so we come to Easter Sunday. But that's next week. And we'll celebrate that then. Truly, this was the Son of God. And that was the week that was. There's never been a week like it before. And there'll never be a week like it again. It was a week that included adoration that sadly turns. Let us keep the praise of the Lord on our lips always. It was a week that included indignation as Jesus overturned the tables that were an offense to his life. Let's allow him to keep bringing us close and making us clean. It was a week of impartation where he laid a deposit into people's lives that shaped them and changed them. It was a week of revelation that says if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you need to learn how to serve. And it was a week that included humiliation. Our Lord Jesus, giving himself totally, completely, utterly and wholly on the cross so that I might be forgiven and that you might be forgiven and that we might have a brand new start in the Lord. I want to say, friends, without any sense of apology tonight, Arena Church is never going to shift from talking about the power of the cross. We're really not. We realize that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, came and gave himself for us. And we bless him. So that was the week. We've raced through it. 
but it started on what we know as Palm Sunday. It's been defined in our Christian calendar as a holy week. Maybe this week you're going to read some Bible readings that reflect it. Maybe it'd be a good idea to start at Psalm, uh, at Matthew 21 and just read those last seven or eight chapters of Matthew that depict much of what I've tried to speak about tonight in the few minutes that we've had. And maybe this week God will draw you closer to himself. Maybe tonight you've never made that commitment to Jesus for the first time. He did it for you. And if you were the only person that had needed it in the earth, he'd have come, friends. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He does.